0: Even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life.
1: No purchase necessary. VDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. emergency transport to from to
2: the
0: city to Attention all listeners on this frequency. Stand by for an important announcement. Welcome to Medic to Medic podcast. The weekly podcast for EMS providers, EMS leaders, EMS medical directors, and others involved in or those who have an interest in emergency medical services. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your host, Steve Cohen.
3: From the Care Area EMS studios... It's Medic to Medic Podcast. Please go to iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean to rate the podcast and also throw some comments toward me. You can also email me at medic, to medic at gmail.com. Today, I am very pleased to welcome Robbie McHugh and Lisa Geruzzi. They are the co-founders of the EMS Leadership Academy, which we'll get a lot more information as we get into the podcast. But first, let's talk about Lisa. Lisa is a best-selling author, result-producing consultant, and an award-winning trainer and more than 25 years' experience helping individuals and organizations to be more successful and achieve their goals. She specializes in causing breakthrough results for her clients by giving them access to a whole new level of power and performance. Robbie has more than 14 years' of experience in the EMS industry, currently is a flight paramedic in New York. More than ten years, Robbie has served as the president of Sand Lake Ambulance, a nonprofit EMS organization in Upstate New York. In addition, Robbie is a CPR instructor and a lot other uh, EMS credentials. So, Robbie and Lisa, welcome to Medic to Medic podcast.
2: Thanks for having us.
1: Yeah, thank you, Steve.
3: Well, let's first start out. Uh, how'd you two meet?
1: Well, geez, we met probably in two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Um, I, as you said, it was the the president of a nonprofit uh ambulance service my hometown and uh really kind of struggling for a few years with uh dealing with a lot of organizational issues that i'm sure a lot of your listeners uh, have dealt with i mean not to not just the the day-to-day operations but the uh kind of the interpersonal things going on Uh, people's people's lives are definitely not separate of of their work so it's issues that they were bringing in and i mean people uh, going through every, every stage, uh, change of life and, uh, and coming kind of to the organization with their issues. So how do I deal with that? So I actually met Lisa, somebody gave me her business card that heard her talk. And when we got together, it, it uh, we just hit it off.
2: Yeah. Uh, Robbie came to me with, uh, the issues that he was dealing with and it was very similar to issues I was dealing with in my, you know, with my clients, um, at that time, I was working with a lot of small business owners and nonprofit organizations, not particularly in uh, EMS, but in other um, other uh, areas. And the things he was telling me were were very similar, if not exactly the same. And so um, I suggested to him that you know we start with a simple communication program to help people to learn how to. Uh, Effectively express their frustration, their um, even if they wanted to, uh, um, you know, compliment somebody, sometimes it was coming across in a very sarcastic and negative manner. And so it seemed like there was this huge rift between people who needed to really rely on and trust each other. So that's really how we started. I offered a, a communication program. That I had had a lot of success with, and you could tell by the end of the uh, the second session that something had shifted in the air, if you will, um, in the in the nonprofit. And so um, that was the beginning of a beautiful friendship, as they say. Um, from there, we you know we we did some other programs. I worked with the leadership, doing coaching and leadership development um, in in enhancing the leadership qualities that people already had and the results were ridiculously good. And we really had such a great experience and Robbie and I connected. Um, but, but honestly at that point we pretty much thought that was it. I was going to, you know, maybe coach Robbie a little bit here and there, but, but we, we had that program, that whole organization righted itself and they were on the path. Shortly after we were complete, Robbie started getting calls from other organizations asking him, what are you doing over there? <laughs> like, You know, is something in the water? What's going on? You know,
1: because I mean, I mean, really Steve, everybody in the EMS industry kind of has this, or at least at the time, maybe they still do have, have this, uh, this phrase that EMS is a dying breed and that volunteerism is dead. And whether you're paid or volunteer, I mean, the, the direction of the EMS industry, um, the comments I was hearing are just overall kind of negative. and And we, we created a magnetic, thriving organization that people wanted to be a part of. I mean, it was an exciting time um, after that leadership training where we got current and future leaders in the same room. And we did some uh, exercises and activities about creating a new future that if anything were possible, what would we really want? And people drew some of the most amazing uh, things that New building project, an abundance of people, paid staff and volunteers getting along, and it was it was so powerful that within three years of that of that session, ninety eight percent of that came true. We had a brand new building uh, renovation that we didn't have the budget for. That we ended up finding the money, financing part of it. We had uh, five volunteer day crews that we hadn't had since nineteen ninety five. We went from two people putting in over 500 hours in a year to 26 people putting over 500 hours in a year. Uh, we had people skipping from two or three towns over, the next county over, to come and be part of our organization. Uh, so, again, it, it created an atmosphere that drew people in and people were excited about. And as Lisa said, we, uh, we got several calls from other organizations wondering, what the heck are you guys doing over there? And,
2: uh, and that's what Robbie and I said, hey, we're on to something. Um, I then was hired by, a, another nonprofit, uh, not too far from where Robbie's organization was, did similar programming, had a uh, very similar success. Um, so we tested it a few times or, or I did really just tested it in a couple organizations, had similar results. And then Robbie and I got together and we said, Hey, let's, let's create an academy. Let's create something that would support EMS leaders, uh, worldwide. And that's when we um, created our vision, and then we started um, offering programs.
1: And, and really, I think it's a great example of the power of, of creating a vision of the future that's not constrained by the past. Um, when we got together and created this, uh, it was kind of, whoa, that's that's really far out there. But, and Steve, sorry, I'll just read you the, the quick uh, the vision here. Our purpose is to be the source of transformational leadership in emergency services. We empower leaders to cause other leaders and to create bold new visions that redefine the future of their organization and emergency services worldwide. Our work causes lasting, positive, sustainable change.
3: Now we heard about the the results, Robbie. Do you mind just talking about some of the problems and concerns you had before uh, you met Lisa and Lisa came in to start the transformation in your organization?
1: Well, I, I think what I was dealing with was just the product of of the past of uh, New York state says and nothing against New York state. This is every state. The state says here's an EMS curriculum. Here's an EMT program. Good luck running an organization. There's, there's virtually no leadership or supervisory training, at least in the fire services. They have some type of fire officer training uh, programs put together. Uh, but again, in, in emergency services, there's virtually nothing. People are in positions of power because they've outlasted everyone else. For the good or for the bad, uh, that's that's the way it is. And people, uh, I was nineteen. I was nineteen years old when I was uh, elected the president of this organization, and uh, I had been a member for probably two and a half years at that point. And uh, so here's this nineteen-year-old kid um, in charge of a, which turned out to be a half-million-dollar-year a, million dollar a year organization. I met some incredible people along the way that have definitely people were going through divorces they were having uh, other issues going on and and really like coming to me and just talking to me about it. And so I would just try to listen the best I could um, at the time. And and I really felt like we were kind of in survival mode. And I think most organizations that I've seen are in that survival type mentality where whether it's because we're constantly dealing with emergency, we feel like we have to lead our organization the same way. We're constantly putting out fires And we really don't spend much time at all thinking about the future um, beyond next year's budget, I think. I don't know if that answers your question, Steve.
2: Can can I just add one thing? Absolutely. One of the things I noticed, um, and again, as an outsider to EMS, um, I noticed that um, there was a a certain level of, uh, I don't know, fear is not quite right, but a lot of worry and concern about, what other people were and weren't doing, you know, as strong as people were in a crisis, as strong as people were when, you know, something happened, they were on a call and the teamwork was exemplary. I mean, you know, you just couldn't ask for a better team. Somehow people couldn't translate that into, you know, how do we deal with disagreements? You know, how do we deal with this particular uh, officer or this particular member wants to do it a different way, and there was a lot of, um, like, uh, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't mean this in a mean way, but there was just a lot of fighting over really things that could have been resolved through communication, but there wasn't any, there wasn't any um, training in that. It was kind of like, you should already know, you know, I mean, it, it, I liken it often to when people become parents, rarely do people go and get pa- parenting training because there's this misconception that we should already know how to be a parent. (laughs) It's the toughest job in the world. And yet there's no training program for it. And I think that also uh, happens in a lot of these organizations where, you know, it's a volunteer, primarily a volunteer organization, or at least the history was volunteer. And there's this assumption that people should just sort of know, and everybody should be on the same page. And, and it's just a crazy assumption. So, um, and and by the way, I see this in many other organizations. It's not it's not only EMS, but I think there's a heightened level, as Robbie said, of that uh, expertise in emergencies, and then and then you know treating everything like it's a crisis when often it wasn't. And in many organizations, we've seen a simple misunderstanding will cost a organization five or six members because instead of being able to communicate the upset, people just take their marbles and go home. And and now, you know, you have this group of people who are really contributing to the organization, leaving without any explanation. They're upset. Nobody knows how to resolve it. And now now you've got a hole in your organization. So um, that's that's another thing we see a great deal of is people just – getting to the point where they're either burnt out or upset and they leave and they don't know how to resolve it.
1: And and really it was the, I used to describe this as the revolving door of the organization. We would almost get people in just as quickly as they would leave. (laughs) I almost likened it to this idea of the rule of thirds. A third of the people are going to show up and you're never going to see them again like aliens abducted them. <laughs> a third of the people are going to show up, and they're going to get super interested, and, and they're going to last, and they're going to be there with you for years. And a third of the people will join, get interested, and then just get discouraged and frustrated um, and leave. Uh, so that's at least what I was seeing. So. Right, and
2: we wanted to not have that happen anymore. And, and, and Robbie's organization in particular has really developed a great – onboarding program, a great mentoring program, a great bunch of structures to support people through all phases of their membership. Yeah,
1: and and really, for me, when I saw the volunteers, it was, and it's a hybrid organization, volunteers and paid staff that evolved over the years, and when I saw the volunteers throwing baby showers for the paid staff, for me, that was like the light bulb went on, like finally, <laughs> like good things are happening, like change is definitely possible, and I don't profess that everything's perfect, but uh, but really the, the, the changes that we made that, um, that, that we made, and I really believe it was through putting out a couple of uh, the communication programs that Lisa has created, and and that that idea of a great vision. And one of my favorite quotes is uh, Robert Fritz: "In the absence of a great dream, pettiness prevails, and in the presence of a great uh, vision or a great dream, uh, the pettiness falls away." So I've seen it over and over again. Uh, different organizations and and obviously you can tell it's stuff it's what we're really passionate about i mean we want to give uh these tools to leaders out there and really help uh shape the future of of emergency
2: services
3: lisa what did you know about ems before meeting up and joining uh up with robbie well um i i knew a little bit about it
2: because of my well partially because of my upbringing um when I was young, my uh, one of my older sisters married uh, a volunteer fire person who was also an EMT. And as a kid, I I was around the fire station a lot because it was really kind of like a community center. So, you know, my brother in law would take um, the uh, my sister and I over there, and we you know shoot pool and we you know play you know do stuff there. We had so I had I've been around fire station, which also had um, EMTs and then um my first job when I was in college I worked in a non-medical uh detox and it required me to take an EMT course but I was I never I never got the certificate because I that wasn't required and frankly in college at the time I didn't I didn't have the finances to do it but I was trained as an EMT I just never um was certified so uh so I had that little bit of a background and then um, I, uh, you know, on a personal note, I had, um, uh, I had been in the, um, World Trade Center on nine 11. So, uh, I remember distinctly, you know, as I was helping the, the people that I was there with to get away from the situation. And I, I have this distinct memory of, of a bus full of young, um, Paramedics. Well, I don't know if they were paramedics, but they were EMTs or emergency medical services people being bussed into, and fire people being bussed into the area. And I remember thinking to myself, "They're going in where everybody else is running away." And I was just so by who they were. And this was long before I met Robbie, but I've always kept that image in my mind for every, for me, for every single person that I'm training in our academy. I honor them with so much for being that kind of person because most people want to be that kind of person, but don't. You know, most of us aren't or don't do it. I'm not saying we don't do it in our own way, but there's just a specialness to me, and so, you know that that um, I I really stay present to that throughout our work together, and it's one of the things that drives my passion for this, um, for this work, because I just don't think it should be so hard to be a leader in EMS. I mean, you've got enough to deal with. And so if I can make it easier, if our work can make it easier and more joyful or more satisfying or something, then that's what I want to provide.
3: Robbie, what was your, uh, first, uh, entrance into EMS and what was your, uh, spark to get into EMS?
1: at the age of 15, I took a first responder course. My uncle was a fire chief, and he was really involved in uh, in fire department first response, and uh, And he was an EMT, so I would go on as, as a 15-year-old. I would sometimes be uh, hang out with him a lot. I'd be in his vehicle and, and get to, to see the inner workings of uh, emergency services. So I think that's where I kind of caught the bug. And, and I took... Um, so I got certified at 16 as a first responder, and and uh, I was able to, to join my, my hometown ambulance service at the age of 17. I took the EMT course at 17 and tested out when I was 18 in high school and, uh, and just loved uh, doing that, loved being able to help people. From there, I, I started my undergraduate uh, degree uh, at RPI, in, in actually in information technology. And, and uh, I took a year of leave of absence and my family thought it was crazy <laughs> to take a year off from college and I went to the... Community college. I did the. I had this all planned out. I did the paramedic program. Um, I got credits. I got pre-approval to have credits transferred in as free electives. And I ended up instead of taking basic anatomy and physiology, three credits, I had to take make both schools happy I ended up taking eight credits of AMP uh to make both schools uh accept the credit and uh so I really made it work I went back to uh as soon as I finished the paramedic program and my internship over the summer I started right back at uh at RPI and did two more years of 20 credit semesters I worked pretty much full time hours uh over the weekends and helped pay uh, for college and I mean I loved it um a, got to be a paramedic and help people in, in their time of need, and uh, so that's kind of where I where I started. And and I almost swore for years that I would never use my degree, <laughs> that I would never use the IT degree. And then I kind of found over time. I I started like my capstone project in college, kind of merged my my love of EMS in with uh, in IT and created a whole like tracking system for the six county region to track all the paramedics and. And uh, created an online database uh, for for the region to utilize contact management, track affiliations, and ended up turning that into a business. and uh, And so, I've I've done several like healthcare IT projects over the years. So now I work as a full time as a paramedic uh, locally here, and uh, I'm fortunate enough to be part of an agency that has a helicopter based program. And just started last year doing uh, some fixed wing uh, international. Uh, medical flights with a private company out of Florida that opened up a New York base. Uh, so that's that's been really eye-opening, getting to fly into different countries and see different medical systems uh, in, uh, in South America and Europe and, and Caribbean. Uh, so it's, I've been really fortunate to uh, have these opportunities.
2: And in his spare time, he uh, <laughs> co-leads and helps uh, with the EMS Leadership Academy. <laughs> Robbie's a bit of an overachiever, if you haven't gotten <laughs>
3: Lisa, how did you decide to become a consultant?
2: Oh, boy, that's a long story. Um, I guess the, uh, I I started in the, well, uh, my first job was in a non-medical detox. I was in the social work track uh, in my undergrad. And, um, you know, the thing that that I really wanted to help people, and I think that's one of the things that Robbie and I share. Um, And so I went into social work. And one of the things I discovered early on was that people weren't all that interested in what I had to offer. I mean, um, I, I, it wasn't just me, it wasn't personal to me, but that the people who I felt needed help the most were often the most resistant. And I struggled with this strong desire to make a difference and this, uh, inability to get past what I felt were barriers that people put up. So, um, after one of those sort of, uh, crucible, what they call a crucible moment, where I was uh, in a very uh, volatile, I was a child protective investigator at the time, and I uh, was investigating child abuse, and I was called out on a very volatile case. Police were present. Um, it was it was really uh, serious. And I, despite training, this was early in my career, despite my training, I felt like my tongue was 20 sizes too big, and I couldn't say anything. Any, it seemed like everything I was saying was the wrong thing. And luckily, the children were safe, and I had a seasoned uh, uh, investigator with me, so we, it all turned out okay. But it was one of those moments that changed my life because I realized that if I was going to continue on that path, I better, I better do some work on um, how to really make a difference with people that I wasn't satisfied with doing a mediocre or half-assed job, excuse the expression. But So it started my quest to find like what would really make a difference. Like How could you communicate in a way that would really make a difference for somebody and really engage and empower them? And um, I got into something known as transformational education. I uh, took to it like a duck to water. I felt like it was Uh, You know, I often liken it to if you've you've ever been in a desert or very dry situation and you finally get a glass of water, you feel so satisfied. And that's how it was for me. It's like I found my true uh, passion, which was uh, training and helping people to see life differently and then live life differently and have people be um, a request of me to do that rather than feeling like I was forcing or pushing it on people, so I, I continued in the field of social work for a while. Then I had the opportunity to move to New York, uh, Manhattan, and work for this educational, transformational educational company, which really changed my life. I came back to this area uh, because my dad got very sick, and I wanted to be close to him. And then, um, I, so I worked for a company. Um, well, uh, actually, it was the state of New York. I worked for uh, for that company, uh, doing training and I was just not satisfied. And so finally I, um, I just, you know, do this on my own and I could make a bigger difference. I, w- I wouldn't be limited by the constraints of a government agency or, you know, other organizations. So I decided I was already doing, um, part-time coaching. Um, uh, I did that for about five years and I was having great success. People hiring me to help them change their lives or change their businesses. And, and so, I, you know, it was, I could
0: see that I As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming
1: The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Ch-ch-chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I make a living at it.
2: And then, um, so that's what I did. I, I, I went to Case Western University for a certificate program um, at the Weatherhead School of Management. And once I had that certificate, I could see that I, I could use that to really make a difference for organizations. And so that's why I called myself a consultant. Um, in actuality, I'm, I'm probably more, you know, splitting hairs, I guess, but I'm more of a coach. Uh, I do consulting work, but my expertise is in communication, performance, effectiveness, you know, having satisfaction and fulfillment. Where most consultants have an expertise in a particular thing, like like Robbie's an IT, con, you know, information technology consultant. He has an expertise, and he can go into an organization and say, you know, this this is what you need to do. Um, you know, and I, and my expertise is really in communication performance, so I help people to alter the way they think and act so that they get different results so I guess coach consultant
1: and the great thing is Steve about how we were able to bring that into these programs is I mean we've all seen we've been to conferences and we've, we've gotten excited and that excitement only lasts for a certain amount of time and, and it's that feeling of overwhelm too like wow I've gotten so much information and, and so I really like the fact that we've created transformational programs where we're not going to tell you exactly what to do or how to do it well we 'll give you strategies and tips that we found have been successful but we want people to experience a, a new perspective to give them a have them be able to discover a new perspective for themselves has been the most powerful thing I and mean, people have come up at the end of the programs to say like wow you've, you've changed my life we, we actually had somebody say that they're going to go to medical school now because they saw them they saw it as possible where their whole life they've been told it's too hard and it's too difficult or you're not smart enough um, something as simple as we had somebody, uh, that was going through a divorce and, and she never, she always wanted, she wanted to see herself getting a new home for her and her, uh, her child. And, and out of our program, she created a plan where she was going to do that within a year. She had closed on a new house. So, uh, I mean, I, we, we've created some online programs to try this out. Most of the work is, is done in person and, and uh, we get courses, but, uh, and of course, we developed online, so we called it the mini course. And we took our communication program to try to create an offering to give people a taste of what's possible and getting that new perspective. And, and the feedback that we've gotten from people says, really, it's, it's kind of been astounding because uh, we weren't sure if it really was going to work online. And people have said, well, if they're going to see their coworkers as, as somebody new as different, uh, that, that they can they've gained a new perspective. For, the, for us it's been huge
2: yeah and and that's one of the draws I think for people is not only will this help you in your EMS organization you know create it differently and you know have it um, you know have in a, a different experience there and have more success but the training will help you anywhere in your life whether it's with you know your kids your job anywhere and so a lot of times that that's the added benefit and why why people are um, drawn to the program but just to to give you a brief example of what Robbie's talking about, like why is transformational education different from traditional is it's kind of like when you learn to ride a bicycle, you know, you could read a manual about how to ride a bike and that won't help you actually ride the bike. And most traditional education, although incredibly necessary, doesn't prepare you for the actual experience. And, the work we do is about discovering things for yourself in such a way that you first see life differently or see the situation differently, and then it gives you access to living like life differently. So if we only gave tips and strategies, that would be fair, maybe useful initially, but over time it would, it would not be as effective because you tend to default to your um, traditional way of doing things. But by have people having these aha and sort of wake-up epiphany moments, what happens is is that they can never see life the same way. And so now there's access to a whole new way of performing, a whole new way of, of, t- of taking actions and having communication that wasn't possible before that epiphany moment.
1: And as Lisa likened it to the bike example, it's the... You can read a manual on, on riding a bike, and it doesn't help. But once you discover that balance for yourself, like that's what you get, and you're never going to forget that feeling of balance. But if I were to tell you what balance is like, and you never experienced it, that's that's uh, that's kind of the disconnect. Right? Yeah. So that's, um, and we have people that that are dealing with difficult situations, interpersonal conflicts. Uh, they're getting squeezed to death between their their frontline workers and the upper level management or town boards. Uh, that's their occurrence at least. Is, and, uh, and we help them really reinvent uh, what leadership could look like for themselves. And, and they're some of the most powerful exercises. And I tell you, we've, we've done this over and over again. We've gone to the New York state vital science conference. We've done a great, we did a two day pre-conference with over 50 people in the room and we had a variety of people from, uh, from New York City-based EMS large services to rural, upstate, uh, western New York organizations, for-profit, non-profit. Um, and it was great to see the
3: uh, the similarities between between all of them. Well, let's get into the EMS Leadership Academy and the resources and the leadership resources that you are creating within your organization. I, one of the questions that pop into my mind is what are EMS leaders doing poorly today and what do you think they can improve?
2: Well, I, I, again, I'm saying this from an outside perspective. I, uh, I'll say it about EMS leaders, but I see it in lots of places. Um, and you know, one thing is there's a lot of assumptions that are made. Um, You know, I talk about in one of my books, um, the shoulding that we do on people, you know, he should know better. He should do this. He should have known. She should have known. There's all this shoulding because we assume that people have the same exact experience of life that we do and nobody does. And so when you're assuming and you're projecting your, um, you know, your expectations onto somebody then you're automatically devaluing their perspective. Um, I think think people in leadership positions in EMS and in general are too problem-focused. They focus only on what's wrong and what do we need to do to fix it, which is understandable because of the medical model we have. And, of course, I'm not saying you ignore what's wrong, but if you only focus on what's wrong, then what happens in an organization is you have very deflated human beings. Because there's never any creative opportunities. Like, what do we want to create? So, you know, I often say that in the face of gravity, Orville and Wilbur Wright were able to create a a, a flying machine. And they didn't even have degrees between them. But they were able to create in the face of gravity and the laws of aerodynamics. They didn't understand those things but those were circumstances they had to deal with every organization has circumstances every time we go someplace we hear oh but you don't understand lisa we have a town that doesn't appreciate us we have this that or the other thing we have you know this problem we don't have enough volunteers like we hear it all and what we say to them is great what do you want to create because those are just circumstances they're just they're just circumstances they're just design it's good to know that they exist, just like it's good to know about gravity, but so what? You can still create a flying machine. So when you have that approach, like, okay, there's circumstances, and what do we want to create? And in Robbie's organization, as we've said, you know, they had a they had a real problem with retention. They, they could get people in the door, but they couldn't keep them in the door. They couldn't get them to, to volunteer. Sometimes they didn't even finish their EMT uh, courses. So instead of looking at, well, what's wrong? We said, well, what do you want to create? And by creating a a vibrant, thriving, magnetic organization, way before it actually existed, this was just in language they created it. Then we said, okay, good. How do we create structures that support that? We didn't go in and say, how do we get more members? Or how do we retain people? That's a fixing mentality. We said, what do you want to create? And I think too many leaders focus solely on problems and what happens is they miss the opportunity to create what they really want and all they do is avoid what they don't want. So, I mean, again, we talk a lot about that. Not only do we talk about it, but we help people in our leadership academy. In our, We have two leadership, uh, we have several leadership courses, but our core programs are Uh, The leadership one and leadership two and in those two programs we allow people and help them discover how to shift from a solely problem solving fix it mentality to a more what we call appreciative approach or a more creative uh, shift so that you can actually bring people and engage the best of them and help them to work together to create what they want that's my, that's my answer to what do most leaders, and in particular EMS, do poorly. And that's not through any fault of their own, by the way. Um, it's, the, it's the water we swim in. It's, it, the, you know People don't even know what else to focus on. What do you mean? I, of course I focus on the problems, Lisa. How are we going to get better if we don't focus on the problems? But I say to them all the time, if you, if you only focus on what's wrong, how are you ever going to create what you want? because the absence of what you don't want is not the same as creating what you want and problem solving will only get you to the absence of what you don't want. I'm interested in how do we create what you want.
1: And to add on to that, I really see a lot of EMS leaders so mired down in these problems and almost in the sense of overwhelm. Um, And, and, you know, it's, it's, Disheartening for them. It's uh, they get drained. Like it's it's draining to focus on a lot of problems and to be only dealing with those problems. It's so much more exciting to be talking about what's going what's going well in the organization. It's it's energizing to talk about a new program with people. Um, but a lot of people just get um, stuck in. You know what? They they've just got to deal with the problems. They've got to put out fires, and, and they see that as their day to day. That's what they're there for.
3: Well, it's crisis management. I mean, that's what EMS leaders do on a particular basis is, I think, why you said it, is put fires out. But we're always handling going from one crisis to another. And sometimes we forget that there is so much positive that goes on in our organizations and out there taking care of the public. And I think as leaders, sometimes we just forget that, too. You know, praise our staff, make sure they have the tools and the resources. And I think, as Robbie said earlier, when people start coming to talk to you, and he was 19 years old, me uh, as a chief here, and I've been 16 years in this organization, and my staff always comes to me and and talk to me about their personal lives as well as what's going on at work, too. And you've got to make time for them. And sometimes I think EMS leaders forget about making time for those people out there that are really making you look good.
2: Yeah, that's great. It's great. And and at first blush a lot of times people will think that this is some Pollyanna approach, but it isn't. It's not it's not just thinking positively and avoiding, you know, the negative. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is actually asking the question, what do we want to create? And then getting clear that that's possible, that you can create it the way you want it to be. You may not know all the ways to do that, but if you you can't create it until you at least decide what it is you want. And when you decide what it is you really want, like Robbie was talking about, how this group of leaders we got together in his organization, and it wasn't just leaders; it was people that were seen as future leaders. And we put them all together, and we just said, "Look, if anything were possible, what would you really want if you didn't have to worry about the constraints of the day?" of the past, the way it's been in the past. If you really could just stand in the future and create it the way you want, what do you want? And we, we came up with this list. And then from there, they got clear about what were the priorities. And then we said, okay, good. If you could create it, if you really had the power to create it, what would you do? And we did it from a, a backwards planning perspective. And, and this is one of the things we teach in our Leadership 2 course, is if you're standing inside the future as if it's already happened, and, and create that world and start to think about well what structures would you have in place? What things would you be doing? What things would you stop doing? It actually shifts your mind and suddenly that starts to become more real. And then when that becomes more real, you start to get excited about it and say, hey, here's another thing we could do. And then we do an exercise where we say, great, what's the first, like what's the smallest step you could do right now, leaving this course today? that would make you uh, move in the direction of that new future. And that's why we have such great success with our programs is because we these are not theoretical programs. These are mind-changing but also action-changing. So we have people who leave our courses in action, fired up, excited about creating what they want. And they're in action. They have a plan in their hands when they leave. the the course of what to do immediately and what future plans. And they may not know the whole pathway, but they don't have to know the whole pathway. They just have to know where they're going.
3: What are the most important traits of a successful leader today, especially in EMS? Robert, let's start with you.
2: I'd actually
1: like people to think for themselves right now, what's an example that they've experienced of a leader in their life that uh, brought out the best in them? Like, what was it about that situation or what was it about that person? Because I think we've all experienced that, that leader that you have a conversation with them. You feel like they care about you. They want to they know what's going on in your life. And in that one moment in that conversation, you are the most important person uh, kind of in the world in their conversation. Like, think about that for the people listening to that to this right now. And then maybe think about the, the other experiences of people who you have a conversation and you feel so deflated <laughs> um, and you almost don't even feel worth anything after that conversation. So it's a, I think that's a great example of this idea of resonant leadership or resonant leaders, people who really resonate with other people in the organization versus this idea of dissonant leaders or dissonance Um Demagogues, these people that just kind of force their ways through situations. And, and while they may produce short-term results, ultimately in the long term, they, they create a path of destruction that will ruin an organization. So so I, I, I love that activity because it, it brings up examples that I've experienced of people that, um, that I want to be like. I want to be like those resonant leaders. I want people to leave a conversation and feel uplifted. Uh, I, I, I could go on and on about this. I've been studying this. Uh, Lisa mentioned she was at uh, Case Western uh, University, and, and I just started back in September. Uh, it's a healthcare leadership program, an MBA program, with uh, the Cleveland Clinic and uh, healthcare leadership. So some of the professors, we've really been talking about this, and, and the neuroscience behind these ideas, the side of resonant leadership of uh PEA, positive emotional attractors that activate different parts of the brain so that may have been a big mouthful and uh, hopefully it answered part of your question but Lisa?
2: Well, you know, I could come up with a simple list but I think the thing for me is if I I had to pick one I think it would be flexibility you know, ability to read a situation and you know, deal with that situation from what's going to Uh, serve this person or this this situation I think too many people get stuck in a particular quality or characteristic and it's like you know to a hammer everything is a nail right like I got one style of leadership and this is it and every situation calls for it and the, the fact of the matter is is as a leader sometimes you have to be a decisive uh you know micromanaging person because that's what's required and, and that sucks if you do it all the time and sometimes you have to be a compassionate caring leader and sometimes you have to you know like there's so many different uh, situations and as a leader I think you have to be able to read the situation and be willing to provide what's needed and wanted a, a number of years ago somebody introduced me to a concept which is almost feels oxymoronic but it's called servant leadership And it's, uh, the gist of it is the looking for what's needed and wanted and providing that, you know, what does the situation call for and allowing yourself to, um, to, to provide that. And if you're not able to, because we don't all have every talent looking for what, who can provide that. Um, one of my favorite stories is actually, um, my husband is also a coach and he, he worked with this person who was really clear that he did not have any capacity with empathy. It just, it was not in his makeup. And he, every time he tried, it would come across like this inauthentic, you know, way of being. And so um, my husband coached him to, to look for someone else on his team that had that ability. And and then he created this, uh, the, the guy created this relationship with this person. Uh, person on his team to be like, look, I need you to be my barometer. You know, I need you to help me in these situations and, and clue me in when I'm missing the boat. So he created this partnership with this other person on his team. And, and to me, that's, that's like the ultimate leadership to be able to know that what your limitations are and then be willing to, to empower other people um, to, to support you and lead. With You you know, so I don't know, again, I said a lot, but I think that flexibility, that willingness to not always your way or the highway, but your willingness to provide, uh, you know, the best for the situation. And how do you, you know, how do you bring out the best in the people around you? You know, I want, as a leader, I want to be able to replace myself. I want to grow and develop the people around me so that they can take over. And, and that's really the premise of our work is, you know, you want to, as a leader, you want to... Grow and develop the people around you, not manage them or treat them like pieces on a a chessboard. More so, you want to grow and develop them and help them amplify what works about them in such a way that they could take over for you if you weren't there.
3: If my listeners want to learn more about the EMS Leadership Academy, how do they do that?
1: Sure. Well, they can go to our website, emsleadershipacademy.com. And We've actually created a couple giveaways for your listeners. Um, one of the programs is called Influence Without Arm Twisting. It's a uh, hour long audio that Lisa recorded, which I've listened to at least ten times. I get something out of it every time, and they can, uh, if they look on our website under the shop, we've created uh, a free code that they can download. Uh, ten, yeah, ten copies we put out there for free. So if they use Medic to Medic. Uh, as a discount code, they should be able to download that for free. We also, about a, about a year and a half ago, uh, we came out with our first book, Making Good of the Order the Best Part of Your Meetings. And it was after I've led probably over 120, 100 or, uh, organizational meetings. And uh, we created some activities, these ideas of leaving people on a good note, on a high point experience. So utilizing the last five minutes of your meeting to to leave people on a, on a, or the last 10 minutes of the meeting, uh, to leave them on a high note. And uh, we, so we've actually sold copies in the UK, Canada, um, all over the world, which goes back to our vision of having that worldwide impact. So that's been super exciting. And we did a $10 off coupon code for that book, 911Leader. So uh, for your listeners, again, 911Leader, it's $10 off the book, and um, I think free shipping and if they want to download that audio it's medic to medic so we really there's a ton of free resources on the website that you can download read blog articles videos and the mini course right now is still free we've had over 120 people take it so far um, and there's information on the mini course uh there it's about a week long uh with four different modules uh and we've uh, like i said we've gotten some great results and, and great feedback about the programs so
2: yeah, and also you can just email us at support at emsleadershipacademy.com. Um, we are actually putting together our fall and uh, fall twenty seventeen and our spring twenty eighteen calendar. So if someone is interested in hosting the leadership academy, we offer our program in a, a couple of different ways. But the two most popular is uh, we have an organization will host us and surrounding organizations. Will, will register to come to the program. And so, you know, the, the, the hosting agency provides some of the people who come and then people come regionally. So that's one of the ways. And then we have organizations that are large enough that they host us themselves. So we, you know, that'll happen too, where they'll call us and say, hey, we want to bring you in. And,
1: yeah. and, and Steve, thank you again for inviting us on in this podcast and the opportunity to, uh, to talk about our work and uh, how we can support EMS leaders throughout this country and really throughout the world. Um, it's what keeps us going. And, and thank you for all the people that you've interviewed. I, uh, I see you're up to almost 100 uh, different interviews, and it's really great to hear people's stories. Uh, so thank
3: you for doing that. Really, really appreciate you creating a couple of giveaways for my listeners, and I want to thank you very much for being on my podcast.
2: Oh, it's our privilege. Thank you so very much for everything you do and for inviting us on.